This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about the value that comes along with setting the right company mission and then living that mission at your very core. We get tons and tons of questions all the time about how to translate the more foundational branding elements and then use them in real life or execute against them or make them part of your everyday business. And we know overall this is how a company's success is impacted. So this episode provides clear examples on how when it's done right, it will ultimately lead to financial success, which is, of course, the ultimate goal of any business. All right. But before we're going to get started, we're going to actually define company mission just so we're all on the same page. So your mission is a statement that declares the impact you plan to have as a result of coming together, whatever that looks like, whatever your team looks like. But fundamentally, it answers the question, why are we here? And the biggest mistake businesses make when they're trying to address this question is they make it too internally focused and make it all about them. And this is likely an element of it, but most of your mission statement should be externally focused on what impact you plan to have on the people you're engaging with. And this is because people, frankly, care more about what you are going to do for them than who you are. That generally comes later. So just as an example, let me give you our mission statement here at Forthright People, which is to leverage our 35 plus years of experience to always be of service in enabling businesses to become savvier brand builders and marketers while building the teams and infrastructure to support them. So let me just break that down really clearly because altogether it definitely says why we're here, but to leverage our 35 years of experience, that's the more internally focused part. It gives a little bit of our credibility, right? To always be of service in enabling businesses to become savvier brand builders and marketers is all about the impact that we plan to have. This is what we want our customers to take away and our clients to take away. But then we add a little bit of juice on the end, which is building the teams and infrastructure to support them. That creates a little bit more of a differentiating factor for our business and saying, we're not going to love you and leave you. We're going to set you up for success. Yes, and that is a perfect and very near and dear example. Um, And also, not to just pack more into this episode, but we also have a guest today to help speak to this very directly from his success. So Mark Patchett is the founder of Growth Shop, and this is something that he lives day in and day out, is really surrounding his company and, and foundationally building it with the mission always in mind even to the point of extending it all over the world, very literally. So, Mark, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Howdy, howdy, everybody. Great to be hanging out with you guys this evening. So, yeah, as mentioned, I'm the founder of Shop, originally from Sydney, Australia. Then I shifted over to London, or I think it's about six years ago, and, and now currently in Ukraine. I think we'll probably cover lots of different bits about uh, the business, but the, the high level of what we're trying to do with Grow Shop is to build brands uh, smarter, faster, and happier, which is how can you build amazing brands that have a positive impact on the world really quickly while everybody inside the company can confidently say it's the happiest they've ever been in a job. So I loved your mission, by the way. I loved your mission. I, I think yours, yours is more succinct than ours. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, we've, we've got the the overall direction of it is, is very close to us and very clear. But I, I like your wording. Well, I mean... Building something around happiness, how much better can you get than that? So, yeah, no kidding. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. 
Okay, so this is going to be a fun one. Um, with that introduction and all that setup, we're going to jump into the four steps to building a company mission that leads to business success. The first one we have here is utilize the passion of the founder to answer the question, why are we here? So Anne did a good job of setting that up in the definition of the mission and reminder that this is meant to be externally focused, but it does have to start with the founder, the person creating this company, this mission, this brand. You know, the expression, if you build it, they will come. That's what we're talking about here. So the role of any founder is to pour that passion into developing a mission of a company that will compel other people to join that mission and live it and love it as much as the founder does. So, but specifically in striving to answer why are we here, this is really about getting from that starting point to the mission. So what do you need to ask yourself? Well, what have you seen and done in the past that tells you this is worthwhile? What's in it for the people that join the company, the clients you'll serve, and then the end consumer if there is one? You really want to make sure that you're not focused simply on what you will make or provide or what service you offer, but really what do you provide on a deep emotional level that, again, that external audience ultimately is going to want. Your employees too, but we're really focused on mission, so external. This needs to be much bigger, therefore, than a personal passion. This is the entire mission that will be embraced by everyone that comes into contact with you, your employees, your clients, the competition, your customers, a whole landscape of people and products and services and resources that the world has just been sitting out there waiting for. And the other part about this is we talked a lot about passion, but the other thing is you really need to make it clear as well so that it is compelling. You want it to be something that's really easy for people to get on board with and internalize quickly. So they immediately respond with, I want that, or I want to be part of that. And when you have a community of a lot of people that have that feeling, whether internal or external, they're going to want to work more diligently and collectively with you and be a part of this because they feel such a part of something bigger than themselves, which is what that that mission ultimately delivers. So Mark, I'm going to stop talking with that setup. I know you have a lot of personal uh, points to make and, and really discussing how you developed the brand of Grow Shop and ultimately its mission. Yeah, plenty to talk about it. It's it's funny being on the show because I'm used to just listening and I'm just getting kind of engaged, just cruising <laughs> along. And then anyway, and Mark, I was like, oh shit, I'm on this thing. Uh, so, so Mark's the, the fan there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and now I was going to say now in 3D, but we're kind of it's not even 2D, isn't it? It's the audio D. Uh, so the 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 smarter, faster, happier bit. So yeah, loads loads we could talk about here, but the the values that we built this company on where well, I guess I built the company on all came from having different experiences. And I think it takes battle testing what you like and what you don't like mm -hmm. and what matters to you and what really doesn't matter to you uh, to get there. And I've had, I've, I've probably worked with over 200 different businesses, you know, whether agency or in-house and the things that stood out were, were more the people were more the bosses that I had where I was like, shit, you kind of defy what I thought would be possible. The company is going through a really, really hard time. We're going through a cash crunch, but you're composed and you're showing these leadership abilities or this, this kind of this leadership core where people still feel like they're, they're part of this mission. So I was like, why, 
why do you have that level of comfort that you can give people versus other people when nothing's actually really wrong and you deliver something to a client and, you know, one of the pixels is off and they're losing their shit. I was like, <laughs> fuck. So I, I started learning a lot about different patterns uh, of what I liked and what I didn't like. And then a lot of this really stood out when I started working with venture-backed companies. And you start experiencing this very, very weird dynamic where you've got this core and I think this is a really important point to get across as well, where you can have your mission and you can have your values and everybody can be aligned inside the company. But if you give away too much of your company too soon and mm. you lose a controlling share, then you may have people that control you that don't share your values that can actually call the shots. I was like, this is not fun. We, we, really, <laughs> we, we really care about what we're doing here. And with this company, we're helping independent boutiques. But then investors can come in and be like, yeah, I don't really give a shit about these people. I care about hitting my numbers. You guys need to do stuff that you might not agree with in order to give me what I want. So I was like, wow. So a lot of this evolved into Smarter, Faster, Happier, which was how do we build brands in such uh, an intelligent way that mean that we're self-sustainable and we can get the brand to a level where if we take on capital, it's used to fuel growth and we're not giving away things like voting rights. Yeah, I, th I think that is so critical because you just explicitly explain why an inspired workforce is so important, right? And and how it could crumble when you start splitting it off into different pieces because um, we get into these mindsets and we're going to talk about this a little bit later about the need to hit the PL, hit the bottom line. And we seem in the moment to want to sacrifice some of these um higher order values in our mission in order to be able to do that. And really making that choice, it, it could really be detrimental. And I think people really underestimate the value that comes from creating that mission and then really establishing the right culture underneath it in order to be able to really deliver something that's bigger than yourself. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think that VC piece too, um, you know, I hadn't really thought about it the way you just described it. And I know we even talked about it in our, our previous conversations, but that knee jerk or, you know, you smell the money, right? <laughs> Coming and you're like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And then you sacrifice so much more when all of a sudden you're like, wait, I don't have control over that anymore. And the subsequent just demise, I think that can happen. Yeah, no, totally. And I think what's what's interesting here as well, like if, unless your values are illegal or kind of very gray, mm -hmm. I think everyone has their own right to have their own value system, really. So it's like if you're if you're taking money of someone whose like absolute objective is just the cash and they don't really care about the the values that you have, then that's kind of on you. It's either on them for not being transparent or on you for not really. Uh, digging into it deep enough because they've got every right to do that. It's kind of like uh, a deal with the devil. You know yes. what I mean? If, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is okay. And if the devil's like, this is the deal and you take it, it's, it's really on you. So I think it's not only about having this value structure, it's understanding that it's not just internal, it's not just to your customers, it's to anyone that's going to come into contact with your business. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Very yeah. well said. All right. And that leads actually quite nicely into our next point, which is hire people that share your common values and are committed to the mission only. Now, we did not say here the right profile, the right experience, the right skills. We're talking about cultural fit and the aptitude to get on board with what you're doing versus direct skills and experience. So 
are they passionate about what you're doing, that core mission? And then do they have the ability to learn whatever it is you do in support of that at the company? And then also, I think that they have to have a lot of personal values that align with the values of the organization. So do they have a strong desire to grow? Are they self-motivated? Um, you know, are they going to do right by the company at the end of the day? Are they really, truly on board to what we're talking about at that very fundamental level? And I think too often we just see companies do the opposite of that. And Mark, I think you and I bonded on this when we first talked. But the idea of hiring someone because they look good on paper or they have the key experiences and training that you think they need and then all of a sudden they show up and they're just fundamentally not a fit for the organization. And then just what ensues is distraction and, you know, the needing to kind of remedy the situation. It takes a lot of attention. So really, we want to make sure that you dig deep and that you find the people that are truly, truly connected at that visceral level, like we said. And if you do that right, then that authentic mission goes out into the world and is received by those customers in exactly the way that you want them to. It's no longer the sole responsibility of the founder of the organization, but it is the lifeblood of the organization. And the other piece, just as a caveat, and then I'm going to let Mark <laughs> make some comments here, but taking the time to find the right people. And I think that's why some of those situations happen where people hire the wrong people and then have to fix the situation, that actually takes a lot longer. So be patient, really, really and truly seek them out. Keep making sure that you're holding true to those values you've built of the organization. And just know that that hard work will pay off much more in the long run than continuing to hire people because they're there and they happen to be free. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. And this is one thing where even when you know it, when people are like, Hire slow, fire fast. Mm -hmm. you, you still don't do it. You know what I mean? You, mm -hmm. There's still those situations where it's almost like spreadsheet type decisions, which is like, all right, we need this function filled out. Once we hire this person, even if they're 70% as good, it will be 70% of the deliverable. It's just not like a person that's only operating at 70% of what you need nope. is going to end up being in the negative. It's like, yep. eh. I was like, ah, oh, I did it again. <laughs> Shit. So then um, I, we built lots of different uh, models and the we've got an amazing head of people, Ria, and the different senior people in the company have all contributed a lot to this. It's like, how do you how do you hire people and have consistent wins? So we we pulled it down to three things that I learned from Naval Ravikant, which is cool. So it's it's hiring based on intelligence and it's based on energy. Uh, and then it's based on essentially the the integrity of the person. Mm. It, it's like, that's, that's all well and good. It's like, all right, you got these three things. Yeah, sure, that person sounds shit hard. It's like, how do you actually test it? So we, we tried to drill it down a little bit more. And then we came up with a profile of what like an A-plus person has. And we broke it down into these three things, which is ideas, execution, and communication. So that's, that's essentially, if you think about what a really, really A-plus person is, they're coming up with really good ideas. They're actually making sure that those ideas get executed and they're communicating in a really effective way upwards. So the founders and senior people know what's going on laterally. So the people that they're working with are learning and then downwardly so that people are actually learning and improving. So we, we have a cultural fit interview first, which is either yes or no. Mm. And we just go with our gut. We go with our gut, but we go with two different guts. 
So even though everybody is aligned within the company, where with anyone that's been through, like our success rate is actually really, really good. We have the kind of yin and yang. So we've still got the person's like bigger vision, which is me. And then there's other people in the, the team that are, are effectively critical. And they're like, what about that? What about that? So we actually interview them separately uh. based on cultural fit. And we meet in the middle. And when we combine our two guts, we've never been wrong, ever. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing we did. Where I used to do all of the interviews in the beginning. I'm like, they're going to be amazing because I'd always just see the best in all these situations. But <laughs> uh, and now I gloss over it. But then what we do is we move through. Uh, we we have a more junior person even interview the more senior people because we caught people out here. We've got people who would suck up to the senior people, but then they'd be really rude to the junior people. Bang, gotcha, get out of here. Yeah. Anyone that is even slightly rude, take a hike. Uh, then the last thing we do, which is which has been pivotal, is we do paid challenges. So we take an example of what we'd want them to do in the first week or two, and we pay them depending on the seniority of the role between five hundred and a thousand dollars. And we keep it vague, and we say, "All right, we want to improve this." So you do it at a level that gives them enough information about the area that you'd want to fix. That's it. That's it. And what's amazing is you see some people give you one page back and you see another person do the 30-page doc. We've had people even go out and pay for research in the back of their Whoa. own pocket and then come back for it, which is which is something I did to get a job. I built a training course and built a website as my job submission. So I was like, what happens if other people do that? And then you, you make, it a bit, make it vague so that they determine their own standard and it's not set by you because somebody's self-set standard is ultimately the way they're going to deliver themselves to a company. I mean, that is um, a pretty phenomenal because you're, you're now screening for people who actually want to be there too. So you found a way to be able to quantify that, which I find pretty impressive. Um, how, how does that like transition? Was they transition into um, your company then? How do you see them perform going forward? Do you feel like they just did it in the moment in order to get the job? Or do you find that's pretty consistent behavior as they get more acclimated? Yeah, that's a really good question. You can usually tell. And the, the telltales are the extras that they didn't need to do. And we, we try and have this ranking, which is on delight. And we try and do it with like our clients, which is what's all the extra shit that they never expect you'd get. Usually if people are coming up with these, these kind of ideas of delight that they didn't need to, they've got enough drive to continue doing it. But you're right, we'd, we'd still see some kind of good presentations, but then you'd interrogate them a little bit and you could usually see how much someone cared about their work. Like are they delivering it to get a job mm-hmm. or do they care about it because they've got their own self-set standard, which is just to deliver excellence. So you're right. You could get you could get like a good presentation, but it's it's the passion that they have talking about what they discovered. How do you feel like it works then from a teamwork standpoint? Like as they become part of the team, great if they can deliver on their own, right? In that interview process or they're doing that project or whatever. But how do you know whether or not they're going to fit on a day-to-day basis to get the work done with their teammates? Mm, That's a tricky one. Good question. (laughs) We haven't had too many issues with it, I guess, because we're getting one of the other things is just nice people. Ah, Like we, we've had... We've had people that have, have come through that are so good, like technically, mm-hmm. you, you know, when someone's presenting to you and you're almost a little bit scared and you're trying to like check your shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, yes. Then I was like, yeah, then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I buckle up. Uh, but 
they were they were a dick. <laughs> that was so sad because it took so long. They're just a bit of a dick. So that it didn't that didn't work out because we picked it. They wouldn't be very nice. But you're right, testing for the teamwork thing is really tricky. I guess if if they're intelligent, they've got high integrity and they've got good energy and they're nice, it should fit. But mm-hmm. you never know, do you? It's like, how could you test that? I guess you could do like workshops, you could test how collaborative people are. Mm. Maybe. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think the adding on the word nice really, to me, says that they're going to put forth the effort with the team in my mind. Like, I think that's a good balance to intelligence, energy and integrity, because I like those three things. But then I feel like what you do and maybe it's part of the initial process, right, where you get started and you do that cultural fit one. But the nice piece to me says more than just nice, but they're they're pleasant to be around and they are amicable in the way that they act. So therefore, mm-hmm. I would feel like they would be willing to be part of a team. Now, I guess that doesn't answer for the fact of whether they work well in teams. I don't know. Anne's giving mm-hmm. me a look. I feel like she's waiting to speak. <laughs> I so am, I'm going to let her jump go. On to, um, go, uh, Anne. Yeah, my, go. my turn yet? Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I think what I was going to say is that it, it also becomes the expectation of the leaders, right? Yes. So it's a, it's a, what you guys set up and what you guys establish as the leaders to say that it's great, you know, what you've done, but this is a team environment here. We work collaboratively as a team. You're not going to be a lone ranger. You're not going to work in a silo. That's the expectation. And that could be teased out for sure as people like react to that in their body language. And you can kind of t- you know, tell, too, if um, they like engaging with people. Yes. Right. So you could be nice and not like engaging with people at Said all. Said better. Right? That was what I was yeah, trying to and say. So <laughs> I, I think that's the thing that you, you you also set the expectation. And when you set that expectation and people kind of like cringe and they kind of, you know, make some some poor um some poor moves on that stuff, whether you can pull out, then I think that kind of gives you a really strong indication that, hey, um, they may be a really great Lone Ranger here, but they're not going to be maybe good at, in the team environment and we're going to have some some issues with them. Mm, there we really go, Ann. Yeah, there <laughs> we go. Bringing in the goods, Ann. Some gold. <laughs> gold. So, I've got two other ideas. Okay. Let's, let, here we go. Let me know what you think of these. So one of them that we have, and I think we talked about this on our, on our intro call, is the aligned KPI structure. Mm-hmm. Which is how do you how do you stop the finger pointing between the design team and the people buying the media? Uh, it's to realize that it's their deliverable isn't something that you then take and ship. It's that everyone who has any contact with the project needs to be there from the beginning, working towards one goal. So mm-hmm. for us, it's it, with one of these brands, it's increasing revenue while holding like efficiency metrics, like the amount you pay per customer. We used to not in this company, but in other companies, it would be finger pointing. Creative was shit. No, the media buyers are shit. Blah yep. blah blah. It's like, it's like, all right, we're not going Been anywhere. Here. Let's, yeah, let's let's shake this one up. So then we're like, all right, well, you guys, you guys all contribute to this goal. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Cool. So you and you all know things about achieving these goals that the others don't know. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Cool. So do you think it would be useful if you all work towards one goal from the beginning and you all get collaborative buy-in from the start? Then you start shipping things out. So as soon as we started doing that, people were like, oh, well, what about this? I, I never thought about that, Dave. That's so smart. So then the result was amazing because people are using collaborative intelligence instead of just shipping stuff. So I, I think asking people about those types of structures could be interesting or it could be, ah, you know, I lost that idea. I'm trying to get at how do you challenge someone's interest level in collaboration 
without having to collaborate with people? Like, mm-hmm. what if you're just hiring for one role? I guess you could do work. Could you do workshops with people maybe if it's part of the interview process? Well, I think there's also, you hit on a good point, and we talk about it all the time too, is that if you're going to have a highly effective team, you need to set a goal that's bigger than any one person can deliver on their own. So that's yeah. the other thing you can also tease out with that is like you put some goals, like what gets you more excited to work here? It's like, would it be this goal, which is like a big goal? Like we want to um, generate like a massive amount of impact or we want to deliver like the best like piece of content ever, you know? So you kind of mm. kind of see as like, did it get more energized by the bigger goal, which means they're going to be, they know they can't deliver it on their own. They're going to be part of something bigger than themselves, or are they going to be very satisfied with delivering something that's very much insular to what they can deliver on their own? So that might be mm. another way, but we talk about that all the time. That's mm-hmm. a really great point. Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. And I think a lot of that comes down to leadership's perspective on what's good or what's bad. Yes. So one of the, one of the things that we have with, with the Smarter Faster is that our goal never actually ends because there's no there's no end goal of perfection because you're always trying to do it smarter and faster. There's new technology, there's new types of people. So I think the reward should never be that this succeeded or failed. It's like, no, did we right. learn something? Yes. And if we did, and the thing is, if you didn't learn something, then you didn't structure the hypothesis well. Mm-hmm. So there's never there's never really losing. There's, there's kind of scaling or there's learning. That's really it. So I think that comes from the bosses because if the bosses... Uh, encouraging people when they're learning, then the finger pointing also stops. Exactly. That's a great point. Yeah. And that actually gets us to our next number three here. So tie business performance and employee performance directly to the mission. So to that point of finger pointing very directly, if people have these objectives based on the mission of the organization that they need to meet, then they have kind of a, a roadmap or a platform, if you will, by which to do so. So um, in this one, you know, sometimes we get some pushback, like, wait a minute, what? I'm going to tie goals to a mission. Isn't that kind of one of those soft brand things? How do I know how to do that? But that is exactly what we mean here. So (laughs) (laughs) you did not miss here. That's what we're talking about. Um, But I mean, oftentimes we see organizations chasing the dollar, right? We've already talked about that a bit in this episode. And that's just not the right approach when you're trying to create a culture that is deep and meaningful, that then provides a mission that people on the outside can really tie into. It's it's more about thinking with your heart, perhaps, versus thinking with your head. And we're not saying, though, go ahead and throw those financials out the window. It's still a business, right? So of course, they still need to be there. But we're really just saying change the priority lead from the standpoint of the mission and we believe that the financial goals will come and i know mark has seen a lot of this in practice but it really is about the balance so the team needs to understand where the business stands and then where they stand within the business based on the mission that's because that's the reason they joined the company in the very first place, right? That's the reason they want to be there. That's the reason they choose to stay. It's why they're loyal and passionate. It's not just about the day-to-day doing of their job. So specifically, things we're talking about when we talk about performance are things like reviews, rewards, raises, recognition. All of these things tie in and make the company successful. So I'll give you an example from my previous experience. We had um, company values and our mission at the last agency that I worked for. And so, of course, our account folks were responsible for incremental organic growth 
of the accounts that they worked on. That was in their job description. That was something financially that they were responsible for as part of those key accounts. And then the level that they were held to was based on seniority, contact with the client, et cetera, et cetera. But when we would give out bonuses and rewards to those folks, it was tied to the values of the organization first. So, for example, we eat impossible for breakfast was one of the values of the organization, right, which tied to part of our mission being excellence for the client and always going above and beyond. And so that value would be kind of the starter or the impetus for whatever reward they got. And then we would say, you know, they delivered X percent incremental for this account, and that's why they're getting this reward. But it was steeped in the fact that our company values were ingrained and so strong in the organization that they were being recognized for delivering on the culture and the mission more than the financial success, although that was also important. So, Mark, I know you have tons of these types of examples, so we'll uh, we'll let you chat through some you have. Yeah, that's impossible for breakfast. I like that. <laughs> that's starting strong. I need to knock back, knock back a couple of double espressos before tackling impossible, but I do exactly. It. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So a few. Yeah, I, I'm very very aligned here. So a few a few interesting ones. I always say a few interesting ones. But I think they're interesting. Let's find out. Uh, is this this came from when we were growing one of these other businesses and we scaled the bajangles out of this thing really really quick 10 million to 240 million Woo. in uh and i don't say that to to brag i say that to kind of show i guess a little bit but it's to justify it. <laughs> you should <laughs> brag about, about that. transparency here mark transparency rules so <laughs> well I'll, I'll, let me rephrase it like this 10 million to 240 million until one day, bang. And that's when things stop growing as quickly. Mm. This is where things get really, 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 really crazy. So the, the pattern I started working on, I started recognizing here, is that you can grow, you can grow businesses really successfully. And a lot of the time it's wonderful timing. Uh, it really is, it's great timing. It could be great people, great time, great place. And they've executed well and they deserve to get from A to B. But the, the interesting thing that happens here is that that growth, doesn't continue perpetually. And if you're riding on a wave of finding good product market channel fit, it grows really quickly, but it does hit a certain type of, uh, of ceiling. Mm -hmm. And then when that happens, uh, you've got to work out how to take it to the next level. And you may not have people that know how to do that. So we'd scale that brand really quickly on the back of kind of really good timing. Uh, and then when it started peaking, we were actually hit with negative market conditions as well. So that we started like clutching at straws, not really knowing what to do. And we started investing all of our time just trying to dig into data and to try and find answers uh, in a way that we wouldn't even know how to read them. So instead, what we started shifting to do is like, well, what are we really, really good at? We're good at the fundamentals of, of growing these different types of brands. Let's just calm it down a little bit. And we know that if we keep doing the right things in the right order and we calm down, the business is actually going to start turning around. So instead of just running around like headless chickens. So that that was part of what created the grow shop idea. I was like, all right, if you get the right people operating on the right blueprint with the right technology, we don't even need to think about these financial goals because they're always going to happen every single time because we've got the right kind of blueprint. Uh, is that making any sense? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a very similar um, process to what April and I have gone through, especially in the startup of you know, our business, where we started in a very different place. And then we we're like not getting that much traction for where we were. We were. And then the feedback we were getting, it's like, you guys are, you know, you're, you're introducing yourselves way beyond where your credibility and your reputation hit. Start where your credibility and your reputation hit. So that's where we fundamentally started then refocusing on the branding and marketing, not doing it just like everybody else, but doing it in the way that we know that we wanted to do it in order to differentiate ourselves from everybody else and know that we could deliver like just knockout great work. And we knew if we could do that and we could and we can establish it correctly and we could convey all of that within the mission that people would come and they don't always come mm-hmm. right away at, to your point, but you have to build that credibility and reputation. But if you kind of stick to it and not get distracted by, you know, what's the shiny thing out there or what my competition mm. is doing, you know, and you, you tweak it a little bit as you learn, like we've, t- we've tweaked a little bit um, our approach as we've learned, you start to grow something that starts to then flourish. But if you're constantly mm. like, like you said, with the chickens with your head cut off and you're kind of like, now what, now what, now what, which is what a lot we see a lot of businesses do when they don't have a very clear mission, when they don't have a very clear strategy for implementing that mission, they just get like really frantic about where that where to go next and how to fix this and they don't give it time to actually develop. Mm, yeah, 100%. And it's it's trusting the process and having yes. a very very honest understanding of what you can control and what you can't control. <laughs> Me and April have that conversation Absolutely. on a daily basis. Yeah. I don't know how many times have you said trust the process. We did, you know, a yeah. glass of wine for that. We'd be like freaking trash in like two minutes <laughs> so yeah but it works and sometimes the wine helps and sometimes yeah, yeah, you get the wine to blow off an upstairs nice cabinet but, <laughs> but it just works and it's 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 when you stop thinking uh when you stop recognizing the importance of persistence and clarity and start being sad about shit not working or invoices not being paid it's like that stuff's always going to happen mm-hmm. that's always going to happen trust the process and you just need to keep executing on it there was a another really interesting point uh that i think maybe maybe helpful to people because i found it very helpful for myself which is in terms of how far to go outside of your comfort zone kind of like when you when you're talking about relaunching repositioning your uh your business you knew your core of what you were really really good at and you knew that you could reposition and do things a bit differently that's super powerful that's still an out of comfort zone so I, i've always pushed myself with these big kind of goals and then sometimes we would do well and then we'd kind of crash when i'm like Fuck, i don't know what to do uh what this guy david data talks about is is living right on the edge of what you know and what you don't know so you've kind of got one foot yes. in and one foot out which was was transformative for me because I was like, all right, you need enough of an anchor where you know you can keep hitting it and you can trust the system, but then you need enough to be looking forward and saying, all right, this is in the unknown, but I'm going to pick bits that are new to me that feel feel right. I found that helpful. Yeah, I think that's an amazing point. And I think, I mean, it creates a visual in my head and I'm a visual learner, so that helps too. But it's just, it's really making sure that you're being intentional with whatever pivot you're making and that you're taking into account and not just throwing the baby out the bathwater, right? And and saying, I'm going to go chase this now because I see someone else doing it, or mm-hmm. we should go after that client because they could make us a lot of money. All of those things that really aren't aligned with a mission and its foundation that then become distra- distractions versus one foot comfortable, one foot not seems to be a really mm-hmm. nice gauge for how to be comfortable, I guess, going to that next thing. 
or being comfortable, being uncomfortable, which I think that also helps set the right tone for your people, right? As we kind of go back to the point of this, which was, you know, um, tying employee performance directly to the mission, when they can focus, when they're motivated by what you're trying to do, and there is a level of, you know, just discomfort and trying something new that a lot of times creates a lot of inspiration, but it, it still creates focus. Like there's still a prioritization. Mm. There's still a process. There's still a way to being able to do this where it doesn't feel manic. And mm-hmm. I think that's really, really important because you can't scale if you're manic. A lot of people like feel like, you know, mm. to have a gazillion irons in the fire, which we do say that, you know, you, it's really important to test and learn, but you test and learn on a small scale, not on a big scale so that your people can be focused on what's important for the business right now even if it's a little bit nebulous. So I think that's really mm. interesting how you position your people to both feel like very focused towards a specific goal and mission, but also being able to play on the fringes a little bit um, and, and, and take some risk. Yeah, completely. And you can, you can structure it into your business as well. So I think the useful thing with these types of experiments is that it should be baked in. So for example, yes. when we're running some paid media pieces, we have we have a 20% experimentation budget that we have to use. Mm-hmm. And there's two goals here. We go, we want, we want the experiment to win by 50% or lose by 50% as a minimum. If it's mm-hmm. anything in between that, it's not ambitious enough and it's not exciting enough. Mm-hmm. That's failure. So then, then it's like, whoa, your goal forces me to think really big, forces me to do it. So I think you can make it into the business model as well. Absolutely. I love that. Anne's taking notes now on on your notes. Yeah, so I am taking notes. Hey, it's a, it's a babushka <laughs> notes. There we go. Okay, on to number four here. Hold your clients accountable to your mission. This one I get super fired up about. Just warning there. Do not give lip service <laughs> to this one. If you build a fantastically authentic organization of the right passionate people that are coming to work every day, fired up to be there and aligned with your mission, the last thing you want to do is disrespect them and the company and the mission by working with the wrong clients, partners, and vendors. So everyone has to align with the mission. This is why so far we've talked about building it appropriately and making it foundational to the company, making it one and the same, hiring the right people. Then when you go out into the world, if the mission is set properly, it should attract the right people to it. And you should have a selection of people where you can turn some away. And I think in moments of weakness, this can be so, so hard, right? Like we just talked about, you know, in your example, Mark, of the market was hitting a downturn. We were slowing. We weren't really sure where to go next. Those are really scary situations to be in for sure. But if you knee-jerk react to them and you say, bring on a client that you never should have worked with in the first place or bring on a vendor that wins for cost but doesn't align with the mission, those are situations that are going to continue to haunt you and affect your business in the long term versus staying confident in the mission, the processes that have been built, you know, your expertise, what you do really, really well, and rallying around that to hire the right clients and make sure that they fit within everything you believe as an organization. 
And this is one where I'm passionate about it because I've seen it happen way too many times the opposite way. I could give a million stories from my time at various agencies where, you know, it happened so many times, honestly, that I felt like I could just see the train coming before it was there and knew exactly, you know, all of a sudden it's like we lost a client that was $500,000 in revenue. Oh, shoot. Half this team is quitting on us. Uh Oh, we have to hold ourselves accountable to the board that ultimately owns us but really doesn't know what we do day to day. I mean, Mm. all of these things, right? Perfect storm. Enter this client who walks in the door and you're like, yeah, this is going to be a terrible Mm. situation for the organization. They write the big check and there you go down the wrong path. So Mm. I'll stop my soapbox now. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, Yeah, lots there. And it's, it's like we were talking about before. Biting the forbidden fruit is, is so, it's so tough to avoid. Uh, and often the ones that are so wrong are the ones that have the biggest dollar signs. Mm-hmm. So I, let me, can I digress for a second? Sure, go for it. Share, go for it. <laughs> to share a methodology that I created. So I always, I've always tried to crack uh, happiness in my own brain. And I'd always set these like bullshit arbitrary goals, which would be like big numbers, uh, every month. And I was like, then I'll be happy. Uh, <laughs> and, and then I, I started reverse engineering it. And I was like, I'm going to be honest with myself. I don't actually know what it will be like to have that much money. I don't know. There's going to be good bits. Then there's going to be shit bits. Maybe I'll be crying alone in a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> At least you'll be in so, the Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So then, then I, I started thinking about it. I was like, all right, what, what do I know monetarily would be really, really good? What's going to give me comfort? What's going to give me? Uh, and it all actually came down to freedom. So I, I wanted to be able to, you know, tra- travel the world, be really comfortable. And I did it. Not have to think about money. Not have to think about, you know, penny pitching. And you start backing it out. You're like, That's, it's actually not that much money. But the biggest cost is actually what you have to do to get that. I was like, ah, that's interesting. Then what I started realizing is what I do know with 100% certainty is what I don't like and what makes me really unhappy now. And what makes me really unhappy is having shitty conversations with people whose values I don't align with, that are telling me to do shit that I know is dumb, uh, that I know shouldn't even exist, which is AKA the wrong client more than anything. Absolutely. So it's easy It's easy to look at a dollar sign, but it's it's so easy to forget the cost of what that actually is. And it's when you're just contracting yourself, you can map it out, you can cut a client. But when that transcends into a company, it's not only the people that are working on that deal, it's the like the net negative impact it has on everybody else that's in the office that's around them, which is just a catastrophe. So if you put like a reverse dollar sign on it, uh, it becomes tragically expensive. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think in the long term as well, it starts eroding your reputation. I mean, it, yeah. does, it doesn't take a lot of bad clients for the word to get around. And if they're putting, you know, bad mojo out there, I mean, people are going to hear that. And a client that might have been a perfect fit in the same industry now is not going to be interested based on what this one, you know, person who didn't have a good experience because you know, the missions went online are now saying about you. And we, I mean, we apply the same mentality to the clients that we choose. So for us, um, you know, it's really important that we do everything with a brand led lens. And a lot of our clients, especially initially, don't actually understand what that means. But it is just a philosophy of being able to integrate any tactic you do into a 
broader branding strategy. So they all hold together. They all work hard for the brand and then they all lift the business. So when somebody comes to us and they say, hey, we just want a website done, we're just like, well, we can do that, but it's not going to give you any benefit because you're missing you know, critical parts of your branding story that's going to integrate and make it this stronger. Or our favorite is when somebody's like, I want an SEO strategy. And I'm like, and you're going to put them, take them back to this like really um, substandard website that's not going to close them. So we tell them we can't take your money if you're not going to look at it from a holistic standpoint, because we know whatever you're asking us to do in that like isolated tactical approach is not going to work more broadly for your brand. So yes, you're serving a short-term need, which is I get a better website or I get an SEO strategy, Mm -hmm. but you're not solving for the bigger game, which is how do I systemically and sustainably grow my business? Because mm. you know what? A brand is an embodiment of a mission. It yes. is. That's what, it, yes. that's what it is. So it's like, it's like what we've been talking about for the last hour. So it's like imagine saying, hey, we're on this mission. We need to go conquer this, but we'll let this one squadron go do whatever the hell they want. These guys do whatever they want. It's like no way. If there isn't the commander in chief who has a completely consolidated plan, which is the brand, it's not going to work. And it's quite fun when you're in a position where you're like, look, this is how it actually works. Uh, and if you're not willing to play ball with it, then best of luck to you. Nothing personal, but it's just not a good fit. Exactly. And it's, it's very, very, very powerful. And I think it's a it's a rude awakening to other people, which sometimes they need it, which is like, shit, maybe I should listen to these people that have a really good track record that are doing exactly what I think I need. Well, and I think it does tremendous benefit on the other side from an internal standpoint, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked a lot about leadership in this episode. When you step up and, and put your money where your mouth is literally and say, sorry, client, we're not taking you on. You're not a good fit. I mean, the energy yeah. that comes from that, from yeah. within the walls, I mean, th- there's just nothing like it. I mean, yeah. people just get so excited to see the fact that, you know, that was a hard one to walk away from financially, but it's just not going to do us any good here. And it just it just reignites everything about why they came to yeah. work there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm literally gritting because as you're, as you're saying this, I'm thinking of a story at one of the agencies I worked for and really good leaders learned a lot from Paul and Alex, these guys. And we had this one client, I think they were a lawyer or something. It's a real, it's a real dick. And word got out that we we're going to fire a client and it was an open plan office. And Paul's on the, on the phone and he's a real like smooth, strong, assertive talker. And the whole office is like silent. And we're like listening to this happen. And everyone's pretending not to listen. And then it just concluded and it was done. And the phone hung up. And it was like a rallying cry. It was like, <laughs> yes. like yeah, Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it wasn't, it wasn't, we went in the Coliseum. This is over probably like a $2,000 SEO contract, but it was still not the same. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It's yeah. exactly right. Oh, wow. That's awesome. (laughs) Okay. So with all that energy, I'm going to summarize the four points and then we're going to go into our in the trenches section. So four steps to building a company mission that leads to business success. Utilize the passion of the founder to answer the question, why are we here? Hire people that share your common values and are committed to the mission only. Tie the business performance and employee performance directly to the mission. And finally, like we were just talking about, hold your clients accountable to your mission. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. 
For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. So for all of you that listen to us, you know, now we move on, transition to the in the trenches section. And this is where we give real world examples that are specific to industries, maybe, and situations. But then they also have broader application for anybody to digest and put into action. All right. Number one, I have inherited a company that I believe in but needs to do some foundational work. How do I start? So fortunate part here is you're not starting from scratch and there can be good things and bad things about that. But usually when you're in a situation like this, there's probably some cleanup. You're not the founder of the organization, so you didn't get to start it from nothing and now you've inherited what it is. And and like I said, that can be good, that can be bad. But the very first step before you do anything is really be honest with yourself about whether you are truly in control. So do you, individual person, have complete autonomy and authority to make any shift in the organization to do it the right way or the way that you feel like is really important? So you're in the driver's seat. And I say that because we've seen situations where somebody thinks that they're in that position and then all of a sudden fill in the blank board comes out of nowhere or someone that was retiring doesn't retire. There can be a million situations of why that happens, right? But make sure you're in control. If in fact you are, start with what we like to call the blue sky exercise. So back to the question, why are we here? What do you want to be for your customers? How do you plan to show up for them in this new world? What will make you proud to serve them? What is the mission that aligns with all of that? And take notes, jot that down, look for common themes after answering those questions. Then you build your plan that will allow you to get from where you are to where you want to go. So you're going to need to socialize it with others. You need to make sure that you state that it is clear, again, because you are the person in charge, that this is happening. This will help the people that are there self-select whether or not they want to be a part of it. Again, to the point of finding the right people. That is your mission at this point in time is to find those right people that agree with you and want to stick around and let those people that don't want to be there go ahead and leave. And this does do some weeding out now naturally for you, which can make your job easier as you go to assess that team. And then start at the process we just talked about. So make sure that you don't let any of the bad habits or baggage of the current company, if there is some, and ultimately there always pretty much is, um, follow you into this new world, this new mission that you're developing. Use that mission as the roadmap. Make all of your decisions through it. Get the right people on board. Keep the right people. Find the right customers. Do all of those things as the new owner, founder, whatever you want to call it, of this new mission at the company. All right, Mark, thoughts on that? Yeah, that's really good stuff. I think the it's always an interesting transitionary period, isn't it? Because you're going to have the people that feel a bit prickly. Yep. Uh, they're going to they're going to be like, oh, you know, what are you trying to do? You're trying to change shit up. This is the way things are done. But you can break everybody down usually by just having a very honest chat and saying, uh, what, what what's gone well? What, what do you feel like you liked? You would have wanted to achieve that maybe you haven't been able to. Uh, and then interviewing everybody a little bit and never making promises to say that it's really easy to nearly make promises that you're going to change everything, Mm -hmm. but to just get an honest appraisal and say, Hey, I'm trying to get a lay of the land. I really care about this brand. I really care about the mission and I care about everybody that's been part of it. 
And I'm trying to learn as much as possible about what everyone's been contributing and what everyone's excited for. I'm going to collate all of that together and I'm going to share the plan. Mm -hmm. So you're still taking ownership of it, but you're showing that you care and that you're going to listen, but you can't do everything everybody wants. Yeah, I think that is an amazing point. I mean, you bring people along enough, but you let them know that they're not in the power seat. And then yeah. they can, like I said before, self-select, but also you get the credibility from the beginning as someone who genuinely wants what's best, which is why the new mission is going to be better than whatever was there before. Yeah, 100%. And even and it's about like mass favorability and kind of tipping it as well. So even showing that, hey, we listened to Lou from design this guy had a great idea and we feel that it fits in like this. So even when you've got a few wins, which you really should be making changes based on what people say, yeah. you're going to get everybody wanting to work for you because the previous people probably haven't done that. Exactly. Yeah. And just to build on what you were saying, I, I think it, on, the, on the other side of the coin, there's just to be very conscientious of the friction that it's going to cause. Yeah. Um, because, you know, people tend to be resistant to change. Even if it was bad <laughs> to begin with, people are still seem to be somewhat resistant to change. Change seems worse than having something that's bad. Um, and so, you know, uh, sometimes a lot of people put on the blinders and they're like, you know, they kind of get like their their zero lens focus to, to deliver this mission, to change this and to, you know, change the world in less than like 30 days it's like give it the time mm. it needs and make <laughs> sure that you're being aware of like how people are responding because you're gonna have people who are like yes gung-ho i'm like i'm all in i'm all out you know and some people are gonna take a little bit longer in order to kind of adopt this and feel comfortable in it so you have to be respectful of how everybody is coming in how everybody is receiving it and making sure that you're bringing them along with you or you're gonna turn around and you're gonna look you'll be like where is everybody <laughs> which <laughs> i mean that never happened to me so i I don't know. I'm not speaking from experience here or anything. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally agree. And there's always a tendency to want to rush things and do things quickly and to be like, I see the light. But the transition is everything. And it's also coming in with humility and being like, look, you guys have built this thing. Yeah. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep this ship steady, but we're working towards this new North Star. And this is how we're going to do it. And everyone's going to be part of it. Yeah, I love Absolutely. how you just positioned that. That's great. All right, number two in the trenches. How much of my personal brand should be related to the mission of the company? Everyone knows my favorite answer, which is it depends, but I will definitely add context like I always do. So first of all, we've talked a ton about personal brand. We have episodes, we have blog posts, we have worksheets, we've we've covered that topic. So if you don't feel like yours is defined, pause right now, go to our website, find all of those materials and get to work on defining your personal brand. That's step one. But for those of you that have been following along and doing your homework and you feel strongly that you have your personal brand developed, and you have the idea of the company that you want to build solidified, go through that personal brand and honestly assess the characteristics, behaviors, and attributes that you think will add value to a company and its mission. And then get rid of the ones or put them on the back burner that you don't feel that way. Like we've talked about, you can 
leverage your behaviors and actions to use your characteristics in positive or not so positive ways. So make sure that you are focusing on the ones with intention that you feel like will serve the mission and get people excited to be on board. And I can give you personal examples here, okay? So I'm extremely stubborn at my core, one of my characteristics. (laughs) This is not helpful if I'm building a company. It was not helpful when I was building a company with my business partner, Anne. (laughs) Digging my heels in does not help. Full disclosure. I've learned that lesson. However, she's still stubborn on some things. I I am. I've just learned how to deal with them. She knows when it's coming. I I know what the to like. (laughs) I haven't gotten rid of it. I've just tried to manage it. Like, fine, do this for the 20th time. I'm fine. I'm fine. (laughs) Okay. But a good one, I'm extremely loyal at my core. So Mm -hmm. um, I believe this makes me a good partner and someone that Anne wants to be around even when I am being stubborn. Um, But that's really foundational to me. And I've really put that into, you know, my original mission when I started a company on my own. And now as I've worked with Anne is really serving people in the right way and being respectful of the personal nature of everything that we do so that our relationships are authentic and we're keeping the right people around us for the right reasons. So just a little anecdote there. Um, and But then on the flip side of this, make sure that you do incorporate enough of yourself that you feel as passionate about the idea as when you came up with it. Because you are the founder, right? This is your baby. If you don't love it to pieces from the very beginning, it's going to authentically pass through as you build the organization and become more and more watered down to the point where you're going to burn out or you're going to be like, wait a minute, where did we start? Or why are we here? All of those questions coming back up. So do put enough of yourself in that you're still just as jazzed about the idea as when you initially came up with it and then build from there when you think about your mission. So again, why are you here? That is the focal point of pulling your personal brand into the mission of a company. Mark, over Mm. to you. (laughs) Love that. I I got two ideas here. So uh, I think dissecting the honest appraisal of yourself is so useful. Yes. And you should enjoy it. So the first time I did this properly, I was like, oh, I learned this really helpful thing at, at business school, SWOT analysis. And I was like, I never used it with anything, but I was like, what would happen if I applied it to myself mm-hmm. with my own personal attributes? I was like, oh, shit, that's fun. So then I started doing it. And it's so fun when you do it because you start catching yourself bullshitting yourself. <laughs> I was like, and I, I'm typing. I was like, come on, mate. You're not that. Come on. <laughs> And that was like, there were some things that I was even scared to write as weaknesses, like things like attention to detail, or just atrocious attention to detail. <laughs> <laughs> atrocious. But I'd never really admitted it. But as soon as I admitted it, I started putting more weight to the things that I think I was really strong at. Uh, and then it's quite a fun exercise to talk it through uh, with various people in your team. And again, you're like, I need to have negative things here. And they're not negative. They're just, tra- they're just honest. And mm-hmm. I've still got positives. So I found that, that was very, very, very helpful. Then in terms of the authenticity of how you communicate different things, I think it's it's also not being afraid to be really excited about things that other people may find boring. Yeah. So if you if if your mission and you've got like a uh, a cyber security company that focuses on hotel uh, content management systems and you love it, own it. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be some massive altruistic thing that you're trying to wrap around to make it like a shiny package. You know, when you, you talk to someone who's got a 
torrents of passion about whatever the hell it is, you stop listening to the content and you start getting high off the energy. Mm -hmm. So I I think it's not being scared to be really excited about things that other people might not be because you're trying to get the people excited about it. Yeah, and I, I think you made a really good point, too, about um, when you were talking about your attention to detail and how you were almost, like, ashamed <laughs> judging yourself about it being a quote-unquote weakness. But what we always point out, too, is that your characteristics are neither good or bad. They're, you're just going to work either for or against you in your pursuit of your goals. So in that one, recognizing that you don't have good attention to detail means you need to find somebody who does. So you need a compliment, <laughs> yeah. but not acknowledging it doesn't make it go away. It doesn't make it any better. It doesn't. You're not going to be able to will yourself into saying, all right, now I got to have attention to detail because it's just one of those things that's innately like not in your like your sphere and I think a lot of times we say oh we need to train ourselves or we need to you know um you Mm. know really gut it out and and be something we're not where what we really need is somebody who actually is a counterpoint that allows uh their strengths and their tendencies to work in a way that ours are may not work that but we still need it in order to have a successful business so I think it's just important to say like you know, when you're doing this exercise, you know, just do it without judgment. I mean, do it without judgment. Just put <laughs> it all out there. I mean, yeah. again, it's another yeah. cause for wine. I mean, you could cry, you could be <laughs> mad at yourself, you could feel like all these kinds of things. And, you know, and but at the end of the day, I mean, if you want to be successful in your business, you need to do this. You need to actually go there because these are the yeah. fundamental principles that are going to set up the structure, as April said, that are going to define the kind of people that are going to want to come work for you. And then on the broader mm. context, it's also identified find like what are you going to be your legacy pieces i mean we talk mm-hmm. about this a lot too is that you know as you're as a founder you're going to determine some legacy pieces like i i mentioned all the time chick-fil-a and their, their their christian you know attitude that's a legacy piece that came from the founder's mm-hmm. core characteristic of like being very christian oriented i mean and that that's going to stay as a staple forever regardless if that person's there or not now you have to keep as april says room for other people's personal brands to come in and have an imprint as well but you have to be very clear what are your legacy points that are going to be um, going to be what's going to be um, taking the the company beyond just you. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Third and final question. This all sounds great, but at the end of the day, every company is concerned about financial success. What if the business starts to go south under this model? So first and foremost, we would say it's not a model. It's a, an authentic way to do business. It's not something that you just layer on top or try or an approach or something you give 30 days to be successful and then it goes away. If there are financial issues going on, we would venture to guess that there's something at odds with the mission and then the employees, the clients, the business practices, the vendors, et cetera. And we've given you tons of examples of where and when this can happen, how it can happen throughout the course of this episode. You don't immediately assume that it's the mission of the company that's at fault. You really need to conduct an inventory, look at all aspects of the company to really identify what is the actual problem that is happening. And we've talked about vulnerability and authenticity and and Mark talked about, you know, socializing it and having discussions and getting people's opinions. You do the exact same thing here. You be vulnerable. You ask your supporters for input, especially if it's something about you as the founder of the organization. That's a really hard thing for people to bring to the forefront. So ask the question. 
did I do something? Have I fallen into a slump and people aren't inspired? You know, is there a client that is giving somebody hell and I don't know about it? Are there relationships that we really need to look at internally or externally? Are there people that need to go? Are there clients that need to go? The financials are usually an indicator that there's a much bigger problem, which is why when you just layer on new clients, it doesn't make the problems go away. Money isn't the solution or usually the impetus for the problems. It's usually something much bigger and deeper that at its root needs to be addressed so that things can either get better, get back to normal, whatever the case might be. And really, we've said this throughout, but don't just break all the discipline you've built in light of a problem and start chasing the dollar or chasing the wrong things because this will lead to more problems. It will not fix things in the long run. Mark, what do you think? Oh, yeah. This is, a, this is a hottie, this one. So and it's an interesting one when – there it is again. Another, get ready. Another interesting one coming in hot is <laughs> uh, – I can't remember who it was. I, I learned from this guy – uh, a long time ago, he's like, you have got to know your numbers. So it doesn't matter whether you're creative or whatever you do, yes. you've got to get these numbers right in the foundation. And this is one I found really found really tough myself because when we're talking about attention to detail, if there's a guy that doesn't have attention to details, I'll tell you what, you shouldn't be doing bookkeeping. <laughs> hey, he wasn't Prime. telling you to keep the books. He was telling you to know the books. <laughs> no, exactly. And that's what I got wrong. So I think it's it's so imperative that from the beginning if you're building out a mission you need to know what the rails are you need to know the like the fundamentals uh that are going to ensure that you're making financial sense because you've got you've only got a few different uh variables here you've got the amount you're charging you've got the amount that it costs you to deliver it and then you've got the other piece which is very easy to forget when you actually get that money you're promised that's a big one so Mm -hmm. the the big evolution we had in this business is I, we have an amazing um, CFO, deeper and fantastic account in your line. I go, your, your KPI is to make sure I never, ever have to log into the bank account. You tell me how much I have to be selling things for, <laughs> and then you then I go and do what I do, and I never have to think about it again. But I had to know the numbers, and then they had to tell me what those price points were, and then I could reverse engineer how to actually make that happen. Yes. But I ha- you're right. I had, to, I had to be on them, and then I had to delegate them. But if I didn't do that, I could have a... A glorious mission, but people aren't paying. And you know what happens when we have a crash crunch? That can break a business. You know, having a few big invoices late by three months, it can break a business. So you just really, really got to get that stuff right from the beginning. And as a tip, even if you don't have huge budgets, go on sites like Upwork and find people that are $150, $200 an hour that have a track record or find specific accountants that have done it in your industry to get it. But spend the money to get it right from a professional. Yeah, I think that's um, <laughs> a lesson that um, I'm glad you share because a lot of people learn that the hard way, um, which is, you know, to, to really get these professionals that really, really know what they're doing, but then empower them to do their job well. Um, and that speaks a lot to you as a leader as well, and that you're really like getting them to own that part of the business. And I love the context that you put on the KPI. Um, it's similar to when I hired my, my first person when I was at um, P&G. And I said, hey, we're all like her other KPIs. And I said, but your big KPI is from my email inbox to go down by half. 
That was her. Bi- that was yeah. her big K- KPI. <laughs> so I, I could truly appreciate that. But she felt very empowered, and to this day, she still talks about that. That was her pay- the, the KPI that she delivered. She was most proud of. Because <laughs> mm. it puts a smile on someone's face. Yeah, because they're being of service to others. So they know that they're they're being accountable and they're being they're important to the overall um, bigger picture. And I think that says a lot about people's motivation to do a good job. So I was scrolling on Instagram last night and then a a meme of Will Smith came on, which is is him. And he he talked about the different phases of when he started making lots of money and when he gets to the top. Uh, There was no deep satisfaction from material you know acquisitions Mm. but then he goes the thing that never ever stopped was the deep sense of happiness that came from being valuable to other people Mm. so that that reminded me of the 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 message yeah sorry to jump in there no i think that's a really great way to sum that up yeah for a minute i thought you were gonna not be philosophical when you said will smith but that's actually (laughs) (laughs) he brought it home he's deep deep. (laughs) you get me well you get me buddy Okay, so we're on our third and final segment. And typically we do an example of a real world brand that's doing what we've been talking about today well or not so well. And obviously, when we have guests, we turn it over to them. So Mark, we've so enjoyed having you. Um, please, first of all, tell people how they can find you. And also, if you want to talk about your current company or a past brand you worked with or whatever you want to talk about here, uh, a brand that does this well or not so well. I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, so I think uh, an example to give here is a brand that we did a really good job at. Uh, and it came from someone that had a deep understanding of products, a deep understanding customer uh, but didn't really understand growth like we did or didn't really understand how to deploy capital uh, really smart dude so it was finding something that was quite complementary but this was a good example that I think ties into the agency model where we we got it right and we scaled this thing so damn quickly because we we knew the mission which was to grow something fast but how do we do it smart uh, that took reorganizing the structure that we had with payment terms for these different suppliers. So instead of paying for it on day one, it was paying for it on day 90, mm. which translates to agency, which is see what happens to your business if you start charging up front. See what happens if you start charging 60% up front even. And it may be scared, you may be on the knife's edge to do that, but people will say yes. People will say yes when you've got the value. So we started getting a lot of these different financial engineering fundamentals, right? And it grew the business so quickly and almost effortlessly because we took the time to think about how to do it smart mm. from the beginning, mm-hmm. which we hadn't done before. Which we hadn't done before. So I, I would encourage everybody to do that and to be really ambitious for thinking about how they can how they can deliver enough value to double the amount they can bring in, but give forex the value to the different clients because you can do it. And it's a very very fun brainstorm to sit down, and that's what we did. We said let's think about all the fundamentals of the business that make it work. Uh, and let's try and do things that other people have never done before. And it makes it very, very fun. So I know that was kind of vague, but I, I think it could be a fun starting point for people to think about their businesses. No, I think you put a very fine point on it's the very discussion. Actionable. Yeah, the discussion today of what to specifically go and do and then the proving the point that the numbers follow when you actually follow the right process to getting there. So I think that's great. All right, so you forgot, though, to tell people where to find you. Oh, yes. Yeah, so find us at growth.shop. I, could, I tried so hard to get the domain growthshop.com, but it, I, I traced it all the way down to a domain registrar in Panama. But the company that owns it is a growth hormone company, pharmaceutical. And they work so 
<laughs> they're like, what, 10 grand? 10 grand for what? We're laughing at you out of the building, buddy. Uh, so but then I was like, growth.shop's actually kind of cool. So, yeah, you can find us at growth.shop or find me on LinkedIn. It's Mark Patchett, P-A-T-C-H-E-T-T. There's another Mark Patchett there. He's from New Zealand. He was a sheep farmer. I'm the other one. <laughs> that actually did pop up for me. I'm like, wait. Yeah. No, no, not, <laughs> not that one. Not sheep farmer. <laughs> Non-sheep farmer. Yeah, Got one. it. Not that one. Yeah, that's it. I'm always happy to talk shop and hear from anyone and share my thoughts. As you can tell, I, I can talk about this stuff all day. Well, so can and we. All of your interesting points coming in hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. My favorite statements of the day. All right. So (laughs) just to summarize again, the four steps to building a company mission that leads to business success. Utilize the passion of the founder to answer the question, why are we here? Hire people that share your common values and are committed to the mission only. Tie business performance and employee performance directly to the mission. And then hold your clients accountable to your mission. And with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here, and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend, and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.